Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Once again, welcome into the college football show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. As always, joined by the professor, Dan Underberg, and our producer, the Polish pipe bomb, Jeff Orlowski. Guys, let's let's start it in a general term. Last weekend was pretty good to be a sports fan here in the state of Wisconsin, wasn't it? When you when you look at what the Badgers did on Saturday, then obviously the Brewer win with the Grand Slam with mm-hmm. Scope, and then... Sunday night, what everybody was talking about was the comeback against the Bears and what Aaron Rodgers was able to do. I mean, it just, it was one of those Mondays where you, you went into work and you, you just had a little extra step a little for a Monday morning. Yeah, it was, it was good. It's so funny too, because, uh, the way that Packer game ended, it could have ruined the whole weekend. <laughs> it, it really could have because we were constantly thinking about how the Badgers kind of made their way through and got mm-hmm. another win, and then yep. obviously what took place Sunday afternoon. Yeah, it would have been a huge letdown, oh, big time. especially the way the game was going in the first half. It just looked like they were going to lay an egg. Lay an and, egg? And absolutely, <laughs> as you say, deflate what yeah. we thought was going to be a pretty miraculous weekend. Well, with that said, we got ourselves another jam-packed show here this evening. We're going to take a second here in a moment and recap that Badger New Mexico game. Then coming up at about 8.20, 8.25, we're going to talk with Jared Lloyd, who's a reporter with the Daily Herald out in Provo, Utah, and preview this week's upcoming Badger-BYU game. A little bit later, we're also going to get off of the topic of football a little bit and talk a little hoops. John Foffel, the head women's coach at Cardinal Stritch University, will be joining us. He has his coaches clinic coming up again on Saturday. want to give him an opportunity to talk about that because if you are into the whole coaching thing, whether it's from youth all the way on up, that clinic that John Foffel puts together over at Cardinal Stritch University is not to be missed. Also later today, or this evening, shall we say, the head coach, at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. Mike Schmidt will be joining us. A big win this past Saturday into the top 25 this week. And we'll go through that and some other WEAC games a little bit later in the show. And then towards the end of this evening's show, I want to talk a little bit about Jalen Hurts from Alabama redshirting the rest of this season and what the new redshirt rule can mean, not only for Jalen Hurts in Alabama, but somewhere down the line, you've got to figure there are a few Badgers that are going to take advantage of that new rule. Mm -hmm. And then we'll also, if there's any surprises, Dan, so far in this college football season that has occurred, I know we're early on, but there's a few things, at least from my perspective, that have surprised me (laughs) early on, and we'll get to that all in just a little bit. But let's start by recap last week's Badger New Mexico game and Dan I guess I'll say it this way it was a good win it was a solid win but when it was all said and done I I felt like I walked away a little ambivalent like okay 
they won, but I didn't find myself feeling real excited about any facet of the game in 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 total perspective. I mean, there were parts sure. of the game where I felt really good, but when it was all said and done, it was just kind of like, okay, good badger win, but I still haven't been really knocked over by how they've played, even though the score wouldn't necessarily indicate that. Yeah, I, I think when I look at this past game, there were things about the game that took away from maybe what they accomplished a little bit. The 14 points that the Badger defense gave up, that, especially that first drive, and then in the second half, those drives are so similar. They just uh, New Mexico just bounced down the field without any real um, any real hesitance from the Badgers. They just kind of put it up there. And the second touchdown, okay, I'll give you that. That was a useless touchdown anyways. The game was already well out of hand, but the Badger starters were still in there, which which I struggled with a little bit. And uh, it was New Mexico's third-string quarterback that was in there. Okay, so I was going to ask you this, and you, you've uh, segued into it very nicely without actually knowing it. And it was the <laughs> fact what that, I do. <laughs> as you said, you know, it was an 87-yard drive, the first yard, yeah. the first yard, the first drive by New Mexico as they just made their way down the field. You saw speed and that triple option mm-hmm. really confused the Badger oh, defense. Yeah. So my question to you is, was it Jim Leonard and his adjustments that then finally slowed down the Lobos' offense, or was it the fact that they slid to their third-string quarterback, who obviously is third-string for a reason? You know, I am going to say it was probably a combination of it, but if I'm if I'm going to pick, go 70-30, Jim, Le- Jim Leonard, maybe 80-20. Jim has shown in his first year, now in his second year, the ability to very effectively make adjustments in the second half. Uh, and to see the way they shut down the option uh, in that second half just kind of led me to believe that this was this was more schematic than it was anything else. The other thing that that I think New Mexico had to deal with is that man, that Badger run game was incredible. They were just yeah. grinding people down, and all of a sudden they're down by you know down by three scores. And that limits you what you can do offensively when you're trying to come back, and Wisconsin was ready for that. Jonathan Taylor, 253 yards on 33 carries and three touchdowns. The other player, now that we're on that side of the ball, that really has stepped up, and we spoke and touched on it a little bit last week in our show, was A.J. Taylor. Bypasses, 134 yards in a touchdown. And suddenly, with everything that has been going on with Quintez Cephas and his inability now to be a part of the team, you're seeing this receiving core kind of evolve in front of our eyes with a couple of guys that I don't know in preseason we thought would be okay, but maybe not to the level where they're at now just because of the absence of Cephas. Yeah, I'm going to go with what we said at the end of the season last year. I really do think the Badgers have one of the strongest receiving cores in the Big Ten, if not in the nation. Uh, it's it's unfortunate that Cephas isn't going to be able to, to show what he can do on a football field. But for my money, I think the strongest receiver that they have is not Cephas. I think it's going to be Danny Davis. Uh, A.J. Taylor is going to come out, and he's going to show what he can do as well. And so I'm expecting that the Wisconsin, the Wisconsin receiving core is going to be able to lift this team when it's needed and really make some dynamic plays, assuming that they're not running into injury at some point. Uh, Jeff, one of the things that we have to, I guess, look at with the fact that Taylor had all of those yards rushing again 
We have to look at the fact Taylor, as Dan was mentioning, is now part of a receiving core that's probably in the upper echelon of college football. But Taylor's inability to stop fumbling. He's good for one a game, if not two, and it always seems to come at crucial points in the midst of a Badger drive. It does, and he's going to have to get that fixed and get it fixed now because every you know he's going to the NFL. He will be a player that plays on Sunday, and uh, and will probably make a a very significant impact over the course of his NFL career. But he's costing himself. Oh just yeah. Huge money every time that ball hits the turf, because you know you could just see him dropping in the in the draft every time he lays the ball on the ground. Yeah, and it and it again always seems to come at the most inopportune time. Not that there is an opportune time ever to fumble, but it always seems as if it's been a a prolonged, methodical drive by the mm-hmm. Badgers, and I, I guess. Dan, maybe that's why coming into this segment, I said it was kind of a oh-hum right. kind of a yeah. feeling because the Badgers have been extremely methodical. They've, in essence, played Badger football. They I have. mean, that's what Badger football is. It's just drive down the field, wear down your opponent. I I guess it's because of the opponent right now where maybe we're not appreciating what they're doing when they could do something like that against Ohio State or against Michigan. We're going to feel much better about what the state of the offense is over there in Madison. Well, and you know every team that the Badgers play in the Big Ten are are now going to be going through fumble drills and strip drills with more intention because there's a running back that has clearly shown he's going to give it up. I was a little surprised after um, Taylor fumbled that down near the, um, the, the New Mexico goal line that I shouldn't say I was surprised, but I was expecting from past administrations that he would sit longer. Yeah, and um, he sat for a little while. Taiwan Deal came back in the next drive and and did a fine job, but I was a little surprised that um, that Taylor came back in as quickly as he did. But I think that's that's a Paul Chris thing where he knows the the mentality and the mental makeup of his team, and he's trying to get a sophomore out there and show him I believe in you. Um, you're not going to do this again, but I, I think everybody knows this has got to get fixed. And isn't that always the thing, though, as the armchair quarterbacks that we all become as we watch these games week in and week out? There's always that theory of get him out, get in his grill, mm-hmm. start yelling and screaming. And I think many a times we want that for whatever reason to make the fans happy. Sure. When, as you said, Paul Chris knows his players. And let's face it, some guys can – respond very well to having somebody in their face yelling and screaming other guys need that almost like father figure where they put their arm around them talk to them and just kind of encourage because they know the makeup of that particular individual and i think that's what chris was doing on saturday and that's the reason why you probably didn't see him sit for an extended period Mm -hmm. of time yeah and we know that jonathan taylor is a mature kid he had an opportunity to go to harvard he takes his studies seriously i think i think they all understand the mentality of him and what he knows he needs to improve on you're right it's kind of a mob mentality in that sense waiting for someone to kind of get in the grill and and maybe it happens we don't know about it but I, i think taylor's a kid that understands what he's doing but at the same time he's fighting years of habit I noticed in the second half he came around came around an end for a, for a run and there he was swinging the football around again and I think it's just going to take time and repetition for until he realizes that it's got to be kept closer to the chest Dan I think you raised a good point I think Paul Chris is the kind of guy that 
takes care of business but likes to do it behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's one who needs to embarrass anybody in public, but he gets his point across uh, during the game. But I think off the field, behind closed doors, that, shall we say, that's really where he gets his point across. It's that time for us to step aside and take a break. On the other side of this commercial time out, we're going to be talking with Jared Lloyd, who's a reporter with the Daily Herald in Provo, Utah. All right, Q Fletch, Provo, Spain? No, Utah. Anyway, Jared Lloyd will be joining us as we preview this upcoming Badger-BYU game, and we'll do it next. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Once again, welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan, as we get ready to preview the upcoming matchup between the Badgers and BYU. Now pleased to be joined on the great Midwest Bank hotline, it's Jared Lloyd, who is a beat writer out there in Utah for the Daily Herald. Jared, how you doing? I'm doing great. Hey, we got football going on. That means a lot to talk about, and that's always fun. So I'll- I'm looking forward to, to coming to Madison this weekend. Yeah, it should be it should be a good matchup. So let's first talk about BYU and what the 2018 season has been with an opening win against Arizona. Um, I, I I don't know if Arizona is what we thought they what they would have been coming into this season, but it's still an impressive win for BYU. And then they fall to Cal, but it wasn't like they got creamed by Cal. It was 21 to 18. So they come into Madison one and one. Give us just your overall perception right now of where BYU is with their program and what you expect at Camp Randall this Saturday. You know, BYU is kind of in a in a transition phase right now. And last year, going four and nine, very uncharacteristic season in 2017, they made a lot of changes, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. Brought in virtually an entire new staff, running a new system, and and they're they, you know they they've turned to a lot of young guys getting started with the you know with the with the program and learning some of these things. So. So this is still a work in progress, in my opinion. And in the first two weeks, we saw some good things. We saw some potential of what BYU could eventually become. They want to be physical. They want to be able to to run the football and and control the clock a little bit and do some of those things like Wisconsin is a master at doing. That's kind of the goal long term. But they're not there yet. And we saw that against Cal. They, They only scored 10 points offensively. The only offensive touchdown came in the final minute. They had a defensive score that accounted for the other point. So they had some hiccups. They had some uh, miscues that were really costly in that game against the Bears. So we're seeing, you know, kind of a, a, a growing process for BYU right now. Now, their defense didn't play bad. I wouldn't say they were great. 21 points is not bad. 23 at Arizona is not bad. But I uh, wouldn't say that they're a dominant defense at this point. They got some really talented guys that I think uh, should continue to improve. But right now they're still kind of figuring out exactly who they are, and I think at that uh, you know at that point there's there's reason to be optimistic, but you also got to be realistic and and realize that there's going to be some mistakes. There's going to be some times where guys don't do things correctly. There are a couple of blown coverages that really hurt BYU against Cal. Some miscommunications and some drop passes on the offensive side that really hurt them. So there's still a lot of growth to be done uh, for this Cougar squad. I, I think the potential's there, but uh, still got a ways to go to realize it. 
So with that, obviously, as you alluded to, BYU headed in the right direction. For people in this area who aren't necessarily familiar with many of the names coming in to Camp Randall with the Cougars, who are some players that people in this area who will be tuning in the game on Saturday should really keep an eye on? Well, let's start on offense, and you got to start with the starting quarterback. They've got a senior quarterback in Tanner Mangum who um, has been hot and cold. He started really strong his freshman year. Maybe people remember the fact that he threw a Hail Mary at Nebraska to get BYU a victory. That was his very first game as a freshman a few years ago and, and had some big games early on in his career. After that, there were some tough times, and you know he, he lost a job to Taysom Hill for Taysom Hill's senior season. Last year, he was injured for much of the year, his junior year. This year coming in as a senior, he had some success, but he's also had some moments uh, where he struggled. So, you know, he's still, uh, I wouldn't say that he's necessarily, a, you know, an NFL prospect at this point, but he's, he's capable. He's able to put together, if he's able to put together a solid game, that'll make a big difference for BYU. Um, they've also got a running back, Squally Canada, who's been very strong. He was very strong against Arizona. Kind of got held in check a little bit better by Cal in, uh, in game two. But Squally Canada at the running back uh, position, they've got some good tight ends. I, I think that Matt Bushman is a guy that keep an eye on. He hasn't been great yet this year, but he was a freshman All-American last year. So he's a, he's a very talented kid. They've got some other tight ends that are good as well. On, on the defensive side, I, I would point to the linebacking core as really the strength of this team. They've got three seniors there. In the middle, you've got Butch Pau, who's a uh, – uh, uh, he's, he's kind of undersized. You don't look at him and think of him as necessarily a, a prototypical big hitter, but the man can hit and uh, not forced a fumble that turned into a scoop and score against the bears. He's, he's a hitter. And then on the either side, they've got Zane Anderson and Sione Takitaki, both very athletic guys that can cover, that can make plays, you know, can, can attack the, the line of scrimmage and, and can make some plays there. So the linebacking core is probably the strength of the defense. And keep an eye on the guy in the middle, Kyra's Tonga. Now, Wisconsin's offensive line's phenomenal. I'm really looking forward to seeing Tonga go up against Wisconsin's offensive line because he's the type of guy that tends to push linemen into the backfield. He's not necessarily figured everything out as far as technique and being able to make a ton of tackles, but he can be really physical. So I'm looking forward to that matchup. Jared, I'm just listening to your your description of BYU, and there seems to be a lot of similarities between the two teams that are on there. We've got two teams with strong linebacking cores. We've got two teams with strong uh, tight ends. Uh, there seems to be some synergies in terms of the, the running backs as well. And then in the middle, in the defensive line, um, we've got two guys that appear to have the same type of game. So I'm just curious, if you're game planning for the Badgers and hoping to get a win on the road in Camp Randall, uh, how would you go about doing that? What would you focus on? Well, I think that BYU's got to admit that their offensive line is young and somewhat inexperienced. They've got a couple of guys with quite a bit of experience, but three of their starters have only played a couple of games for BYU, basically. So there's a lot of question marks as far as what their offensive line is going to be able to do. So I don't I really don't see them just lining up and trying to run the ball down the throats of Wisconsin. I think eventually that's kind of the, the, the format that BYU wants to have. I don't think they're there yet. I think in order for BYU to be successful, they've got to be able to spread the ball ar around a little bit, hit tight windows, make a few plays, force Wisconsin to respect the pass, and then utilize that to open up some running lanes. 
that's easier said than done. Ask anybody who's played Wisconsin. Wisconsin's defense is really, really good, really, really disciplined and well coached. But I think that that's what they've got to do offensively. Defensively, they got to get off the field. Cal was able to take advantage of some a lot of third down conversions in the second half when they won that game last week. If BYU gets in a situation where it's third and five, third and four, third and six, they've got to find a way to get a stop and get their offense back on the field, not let Wisconsin put together long drives and, and really be able to, you know, kind of impose their will like they did last year in Provo. I think that's the only way that BYU's got a shot. And the other thing that, that I've, I've, I've said to anybody who's asked is I feel like BYU needs some help. They're going to need Wisconsin to make some mistakes, turn the ball over, possibly penalties, missed opportunities, those types of things. I think if BYU can get a few of those breaks, then maybe they can have a chance to, to get the upset. Well, I hate to say it, but based on what we've seen so far this year, you're bound to get one of those because <laughs> our, our running back has a tendency to put the ball on the turf at some very inopportune times. For a moment, though, could you talk a little bit about the pass defense for BYU? Anybody who got to see that game last year, Alex Hornenbrook went 18 of 19 for 256 yards and four touchdowns. He had himself a career day, probably the best day of his collegiate career. So has has the pass defense for BYU gotten any better, or is Hornerbrook looking to repeat what happened last year in Provo? Well, I think he's – I'm sure he's hoping that that's going to be the case. I, I feel like, you know, BYU's moved two of their cornerbacks to the safety position. They kind of rotate three guys at their safety spots, and they have some young guys out of cornerback, and they've actually done okay. They had, a, they've had, they had like three pass interference calls against Arizona, but Arizona was really trying to hit them vertically, and they made some plays, even though they did uh, pick up a few PI calls. So they're not bad, but again – this is a game where they have to be very, very disciplined. I don't know if they're experienced enough to handle what Wisconsin's going to throw out them. I, I think it's going to be a big challenge. They're talented guys. There's guys. They're guys that that can cover and and make plays on the ball. But just the fact that they're going up against an offense that has an identity that understands exactly what it wants to do, and and you've got to be able to find a way to slow Wisconsin's run game, or they'll just pound it down your throat. That opens up play action. That puts a lot of pressure on those secondary guys. And and frankly, I'm I'm not sure how they're going to handle it. That they're they're guys that uh, that you know they have potential again, but they've got to make plays. And and I suspect Wisconsin's going to beat them at least a few times and, and get some big plays off of it. But again, is it going to be enough? Is BYU going to make enough plays to be able to hang around? We're talking with Jared Lloyd writer for the Daily Herald out in Provo, Utah, as we get ready for this Saturday's matchup between BYU and Wisconsin. I want to get off, if if we could please, Jared, of the BYU-Wisconsin matchup just momentarily. Later on in our show, we're going to be talking about some of the surprises that we've seen so far this year within college football. And one of them, to me, is the play of Arizona at this point, and obviously BYU opened against Arizona and Kevin Sumlin, and I'm just surprised at how they are struggling early on, and I was wondering what your take was after watching BYU play the Wildcats out there in that very warm part of the country. Well, I think something that I didn't anticipate, and I don't think most people anticipated, was how dramatically different the Arizona offense was going to be. And, you know, I think people, a lot of people forget that, you know, uh, Khalil Tate is an incredibly talented athlete. And that October that he had last year was phenomenal. 
But once teams kind of figured him out a little bit, they, they really didn't do much. He didn't do nearly as much the rest of the season, and that's kind of carried over here into the first couple of weeks. And he still has a lot to prove, in my opinion, as far as his ability to be an all-around quarterback. I know he's incredibly athletic. You know, I saw him make some, you know, escape guys, make guys miss against BYU that were really, really impressive. But I just am of the opinion that he's got to be able to be more consistent throwing the football to be able to keep defenses honest. And he didn't do that very well against BYU until late in that game. Didn't really do it. And I know he got, uh, it looked like he got injured against Houston early on in that game. And that really limited what he was capable of doing. I, I think Arizona's got question marks on both offensive and defensive lines uh, that they really are probably even more of a, a significant questions there than as far as Khalil Tate's performance or health or anything. They've got to shore up those those units because, frankly, I didn't feel like they played all that well. And there's teams in the Pac-12, even with some of the ups and downs in the Pac-12, that are that are really going to push them in that sense. So, so I think that the, the 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 trenches to me are the biggest concern for Arizona. I think Khalil Tate's just got some things that he's got to prove as far as throwing the ball, and, and his health obviously is, is going to be a big deal for the Wildcats. Jared, appreciate you taking some time. Hope you have a safe trip coming into Madtown. Enjoy the game as we are looking forward to that Badger-BYU matchup this Saturday. Once again, appreciate you taking some time tonight and joining us, previewing this weekend's uh, head-to-head matchup between BYU and Wisconsin. My pleasure. I'm really looking forward to being back at Camp Randall. It was a great experience last time BYU was there, and I'm looking forward to being there again. All right. Safe travel, sir. That's Jared Lloyd from the Daily Herald out in Provo, Utah, as we prep for this week's matchup between the aforementioned BYU Cougars and your Wisconsin Badgers. When we come back after the break, we're going to talk a little basketball as head coach John Fafel at the Cardinal, I almost said the university. It's Cardinal <laughs> Stretch University is going to join Stretch us. University. The there Cardinal Stretch University, as he'll join us and talk about a clinic taking place this upcoming weekend. And we'll have Coach on next. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back once again to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. We are still efforting. Head coach John Foffel, the women's head coach at Cardinal Stritch University, who this upcoming Saturday has a clinic going on. So if anybody out there is interested in basketball from a coaching perspective, this is one of those deals, Dan, we've talked about in the past. We've we talked about it last year, getting ready to head into this particular weekend. This is one of these clinics that you will come away with probably more than most. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. when you talk about the value of the clinic, right. the guests that are going to be there, the knowledge that you'll you'll obtain. So whether or not you're a youth sports coach, a high school coach, these, these uh, representatives that will be there instructing during the course of Saturday, it's one of those can't-miss opportunities. It's called Stretch Share 18. You'll get... Coaches like Brian Butch, you may have recognized that name from Mm -hmm. the University of Wisconsin, who now runs his own basketball camp. Jose Winston, Dave Donarski from Aquinas High School, Dave, or excuse me, Dan Wandry from Brookfield Central. John Foffel will be there. The head women's coach from UWM will be there. It's 30 bucks. It's an entire day of basketball instruction, lunches provided. It's just one of those opportunities 
for people to get out and learn more about their craft. Yeah, when you think about this, it, John Foffel is is the coach's coach, and he's he's selected very carefully the best people that he can bring in uh, to provide not just not not just tips and techniques, but to actually have discussion um, and really sit down and, and like you said earlier. You, regardless of where you are in terms of wanting to be a basketball coach, whether it's middle school, high school, and above, um, you're going to get different levels and different perspectives of styles of defense, styles of offense. But it's not just going to be preaching. It's going to be discussion. Uh, and that's that's just kind of something that they bring to the table at Stritch. So that it's it's a great opportunity for anybody to to just be a part of that and be there. And it's, it's, it's a really kind of intimate setting. You're not in a great ballroom where 100 people around you or 1,000 people around you. This is this is a place where you can learn and discuss things. So once again, it's entitled Stritch 18, the clinic that will be held this Saturday. It's $30 per coach. Registration begins at 7.30 in the morning. Presenters start promptly at 8.30 a.m., all of the sessions will be filmed, so you'll have access to that, and you can stick around and watch the women's program over at Stritch Practice after the uh, the clinic takes place. Time for us to step aside, take another break. When we come back, we're going to talk to the head coach at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. That's head coach Mike Schmidt. We'll do it next. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. All right, once again, welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan, as we jump right to the Great Midwest Bank hotline as we bring in the head coach at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. It's head coach Mike Schmidt. Coach, how are you? We're doing great. Uh, things have been good. The, you know, we're 2-0 and right now. We keep saying this week, the only thing better than 2-0 and is 3-0, and I guess. So uh, I guess we're just continuing to work towards that. Coach, you had a, obviously a big win last week against Illinois Wesleyan where your freshman kicker came on with no time left to win the game for you guys. Um, talk about what that last sequence of events was because Illinois Wesleyan calls two timeouts. They commit a couple of offside penalties all in the hopes of trying to rattle your young kicker and yet – he stayed true to form and, and ends up kicking the game-winning field goal for you guys. Yeah, it really was a crazy sequence. Um, uh, so so we, we go down the field. We, run the, we, we get down to about the five-yard line with, um, with about 12 seconds left. We run a run play. We run the clock down to two seconds and, and call a timeout. We're going to run our freshman kicker out there. We're going to kick it. As you said, they call the timeout. And then they deliberately jump off sides, which I really think is – I think it's actually a pretty good strategy. I mm -hmm. mean, uh, make make the officials call it, um, uh, make them make them do that, and, and if they miss it or you get close and you you do block one, then then that's great. I, I thought it was, uh, I really do. I think it's a great strategy to, that that seemed to work out for them. Um, and and you know, we even they they ran the clock out and then they couldn't get their buzzer on the clock out. The whole sequence took about eight minutes <laughs> to really run to kick one untimed, what essentially was a PAT uh, from the middle of the field. So it, what a great strategy I thought that was. But, you know, we just kept getting together. We'd get into a huddle, and, and we had a freshman holder, uh, a true freshman holder in the second game ever, and a, and a true freshman kicker. And, you know, we just kept coming back and saying, hey, we, and we do. We start every practice by kicking PATs and field goals with those guys. Uh, we end a lot of practices doing that, and we just said, you you know, you get to do this, and, and don't forget to enjoy the moment. You, I just said to the kid, I said, you're going to kick a game-winning field goal as time expires. 
to win a game for our team in your second game. Don't forget to enjoy this a little bit, you know, and, and he did. He just he went through and, and drilled it. So, you know, what a what a great win for our team and, and capped off by really two freshmen on, on the hold and, and on the kick. Coach, you, you kind of had two ends of the spectrum this past week. Obviously, what you just spoke of, the fact that your team showed some resiliency, you had a freshman holder, a freshman kicker win the game for you, but yet it was a game in which you let the opponent kind of back in when they scored 15 points in the fourth quarter. So really going, I would assume, going into practice this week, you had a lot to talk about both positively and what needed to be worked on as you make your way into week three. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, they they jumped out to a lead on us, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what the special teams coordinator was thinking. Uh, that's me. Uh, but we, <laughs> we we faked a punt on our own 18 yard line on fourth and 19, and we got 19.2 yards uh, on it, and we're able to convert. And and that really swung momentum. We we went on to score 17 unanswered in the first half to build that lead, just based off of that momentum from really that one play. Um, and, and then, yeah, we, we did. We let them back in the game, and we're, we're a young team. We're incredibly young. I think we had 25 guys take their first – play in their first ever college game in our first uh, – our, our season opener against Luther. And so we're really, really young, and, and you know, we, we got back on our heels and started playing like that, and we just kept saying, you know, it just takes one stop and one drive, and, and let's see if we can find those things. And, and you know, a kid out of Cudahy, Rusty Murphy for us, who's going to be a, just a wonderful player, he's a sophomore – uh, has a huge sack for us, uh, has a pass breakup, and uh, and then is able to get us the ball back. And they punted to Jake Samunchak, a kid out of South Milwaukee, uh, who makes a great play uh, catching the ball and not letting it go in the end zone and not letting it. Uh, we get the ball at the 26-yard line to start our, our, our game-winning drive. But, yeah, it's saying, hey, things might be bad. Things are going to go bad, but it takes one stop and it takes one drive to get those things back turned around and, and not freak out. And we have to learn from that lesson. And then also say, hey, we've been in this situation before because, I mean, if we think that we're going to go through the WIC season and not have a situation like that, then shame on us for thinking that because it's going to happen again. And and we've already been through it now in a non-conference game against a really good Illinois Wesleyan team. So, um, yeah, I I think there's a lot of learning moments uh, kind of throughout that entire game. We said, I think I said after the game, I said, the learning moments from this thing are as tall as our stadium. You know, it's it's just – uh, there's a lot of things that a young team can pick up from a, a great non-conference game. We're talking with the head coach at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, Mike Schmidt, on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Coach, after a game like this, I think you could probably go position by position and and find the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever the case may be. But from what I've seen and from what I've read with regards to the game that took place this past Saturday, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about your offensive line, which really seemed to come to play, so to speak, and really kind of fostered the momentum that got you guys to where you needed to be for the win. Yeah, kind of a crazy deal with our old line. We have two true freshmen, really three playing, but two uh, starting on the offensive line. True freshmen, a kid out of uh, Connor Berry, a kid out of Marshfield, and, uh, and Kyle Abraham, Abr- Abramson out of Durand. And then and then we've got another kid, Ian Carnes, out of Fort Atkinson, who are all playing as true freshmen on our offensive line. And it, it's been crazy because uh, the guys that they're playing next to haven't been playing that long either, but they've just done such a great job. And, and Andy McGlenn, our offensive line coach, does such a great job uh, with those guys. And our running backs are really running hard. I think that's really kind of a key point there is that the offensive line did a great job picking, picking things up and, and kept our quarterback, Ben Shramsky, 
uh, clean for the most part all day against a really good uh, defense. Um, but you got a lot of young guys, and then you got a you got a really a great set of backs finally that we feel really really good about um, that have done a great job. So that combination between the backs running the ball and picking up in pass protection, and then a young offensive line being able to move the front, uh, and then also pick up a lot of stuff on on uh, uh, in the pass rush has been really great, and, and that's what's led to our success. And Ben Shramsky, our quarterback, was the the WIC offensive player of the week, and well deserving and. And it's, it's really a, a testament to that, that group up front for sure. Coach, we're looking at the D3Football.com, excuse me, top 25 for this week. And we've got four teams now from the WEAC ranked in the top 25. You guys are in at number 23. And I know it's early in the season. And I know what that town can be like with regards to the football program there in lacrosse. What has it meant for the campus and the community at large as this team under your leadership has really grown and gotten back into prominence with regards to Division Three football? Yeah, I, I think that's important. And I, I, you know what? I think Division Three football, in my opinion, I mean, I'm a UWL grad, and, and I love this place, and I know the history and, and what UW lacrosse has been with our 33 conference championships and three national championships. I think I think Division Three and certainly the WIC are better with us being really good. We're, we're interesting, and and uh, boy, our city sure loves that. But it's really it's really funny. A couple of years ago, we got ranked in the top 25, and it was a big deal. You know, I think everybody was like holding their breath to see the rankings come out because we hadn't been ranked since uh, since I was a player in in 2007, and so it had been that long. And and then we got there, it was such a big deal. And and honestly, the other night the rankings came out, and I was watching the Packer game with my wife, uh, who saw it. Uh, on social media, she's like, you guys are ranked. And I'm like, yeah, well, we should be. You know, that's that's kind of what, what our expectations are. And it, I think that shows you kind of where our program is at right now, that, that we feel like we should be competing in the top 25. And, and we feel like we should be competing uh, with teams like Whitewater, Oshkosh, and Platteville. Um, you know, not only, not only in the top 25 rankings, but also – uh, for a conference championship this year, and and so that's that's fun. That's where our program should be at. That's where the the tradi- the tradition of our program uh, should be at uh, with that, and and that's why we came back here. That's that's why our staff is here is, is to get that uh, to get UW lacrosse football back to national prominence. So it's a big thing for our program. Does it affect anything? Um, you know, in in any games this year? No, it, it won't have any effect on anything. Um, other than the fact that, hey, our recruits see that our, our community is, is just loving it, that we're playing these non-conference games, and we're competitive, and we're good. So uh, I think it makes the WIC better, and I think it makes Division Three football better. Let me ask you this. We were had uh, head coach Pat Cerrone on last week from Oshkosh, and I've listened to you, I've listened to Coach Cerrone, and some others from around the WIAC talk with I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it, frustration in trying to get non-conference opponents and sometimes then having to go up a division in order to get a non-conference game. And the unfortunate matter of the way the Division Three playoff system is set, I think sometimes a lot of those who may sit down and vote are simply looking at the record, not even understanding that at least with many teams within the WEAC, you guys have had to go up to another division in order to get a non-conference game. How frustrating can that be when at the end of the season whether or not those that win their conference obviously an automatic bid but you have a lot of really really good teams who may have one or two losses who may not be considered for that at-large bid because way back in the non-conference schedule the quality of opponents you had to take on 
Yeah, and that was really our case last year. You know, we go eight and two. Our only two losses are to Whitewater and Oshkosh. Uh, we lost by seven at, at Whitewater last year. We lost uh, by a couple touchdowns in the game, which we had the lead in the second half against Oshkosh. And so, boy, those are two pretty tough losses to be to say that we don't get a shot at the top 32. Uh, and, and, you know, we get a win at Platteville, and we beat a really good stout team last year. And, and you, you know, we, we were left out because of that. And, uh, yeah, that was frustrating, you know, to, to see that. And, and there was a league last year, um, the President's League, that actually had two teams that went undefeated because they didn't play each other in their own league. And so they were able to get two teams through to the playoffs because of that. Whereas the WIC, which was so good with, with Oshkosh, Whitewater, Platteville, and, and obviously us this past year and, and recently, that we get one team in. And, and that's, that is frustrating because we know that, that this league competes at that kind of level. But, you know, we're kind of suffering through that big time right now. We're playing a top 15 ranked team out of NAI in, in Dickinson State University at North Dakota uh, this weekend. And they're really good. <laughs> they are a really good team. They're just coming off a, a playoff season for themselves a year ago. And uh, we had a game with a Division three school in Michigan, and they pulled out of us. We, we had a contract. The ADs got involved. Their head coach said, hey, listen, you guys have gotten too good too fast, and we don't want to play you anymore. And so that team pulled out of a contract with us uh, right now, and we're having to play up against a really good NAI team in Dickinson State. So we certainly feel that. And, and man, do I feel bad for Pat Cerrone. And those guys are paying money and and uh, having to go, go play games and play good teams and things like that. And it shows you where our league's at that we're feared, but it certainly is something that we have to continue to, to evaluate and fix just so that we can play games, um, you know, just in general. But, but then certainly things so that we don't hurt the conference and, and something like last year where we only get one team into the playoffs again. I don't want to belabor the point, Coach. I'm just going to ask you one quick follow-up question with regards to that. Do you find on a national level that there is a bit of backlash because of I think there's great respect for all of you guys within the WIAC, but then is there a bit of backlash because of those that are voting to say, like last year, we're only going to take one and then we're going to walk away? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, there's no question about that, that there's, there's people that just don't want us to, they, if they, you know, we said this last year, our staff was really disappointed that we didn't get in the playoffs. And I'm like, Hey, you know, leading into, it, I'm like, they're not going to take us. You guys, you all know that, like, here's their chance to keep us out. And they're always going to do that um, because they want their opportunities because we, if, if they had it um, their way, then five or six teams could really, really legitimately make a case to be in the top 32 teams in the country. And uh, yeah, it, it just, it's, it's tough, but it, it's also, it's also a point of pride that when we go and recruit in Chicago and we go and recruit in the twin Cities, saying, Hey, you're getting a, you're getting an opportunity to play in the best division three league against the best teams. And if, you know, for us as a program, we just say, if you can win this league, uh, which you have to do to get in the playoffs, because everybody else is trying to keep us out. If you have to, if you have to do it and you can win this league, then you can win a national championship. So, you know, I, I always tell our players that every single year, your competition to play at a national level is 53 and a third yards away. Every single Saturday, it shows up uh, on our schedule. So, you know, you've you got to kind of look at it that, that way, but absolutely those teams, especially out East, you know, I had a conversation with the top, I think they're top 10 right now, a top 10 team uh, out East. And I asked him if they wanted to play in a non-conference game. And he said, well, you guys are too good. I don't know if we really want to play you, but you know, if we did, I would play you out here two years in a row, but I'm not going to go out to Wisconsin to play a game. I'm <laughs> just thinking, you know, come on, what, what, you know, there, there's no, 
there's no competition in that. Um, so, yeah. you know, we're, we're looking at it. I mean, we're, we're seriously thinking about going and playing teams like that out, out east just so that we can um, really spread the brand of the WIC. We're talking with the head coach at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, Mike Schmidt, on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Dan? Well, I've kind of been going back and forth on the question I want to ask, but I'm, I'm actually going to keep us on the same subject. I want to hypothetically put you uh, working in Indianapolis in the Big Blue Circle. So uh, how would you solve this problem? Would you expand the playoffs? Would you have more of an analytical format to determine who the best teams are? Would you have a different committee in place? What do you think the best solution is for this? Well, I don't know that there is a better one than, than adding more teams. And, you know, we are under the national number that should be allowed in the playoffs. There's 254, I think now, uh, Division three teams. And so we're actually working underneath the percentage of teams that should be in a playoff. So, I mean, there's a way to increase that number and add more teams and, and things like that. Um, uh, that, that, that could be that, – that could take care of some of those things with it. But I really think that in the past, I mean – I know that we have to we have to have conference championship winners. Um, I understand that that point that uh, because that's what makes Division sure. Three go, especially mm-hmm. with all the private schools. There has to be a way for those those other schools to you know legitimately recruit people because it's an enrollment business. Those those people are trying to get numbers for their schools and their enrollments to keep the lights on at some of those universities. But with the access of the access of film today, I mean, for me, I'm a national ranker for the AFCA. I, I rank teams in the top 25. So every night I go and watch all of these teams around the country. Um, I spend time. I, I take it very seriously and watch teams from out east and watch teams from down south. And, I mean, just your eyes can tell you what, what kind of football is being better. So I think there's a better way to do, um, you know, really some of the, uh, some of the at-large bids that could happen later on because the, I think that format is, is pretty screwy uh, the way that they do that. So I think that's probably the place to start uh, with it. But man, we have so much access to watch every single game in the country now um, that there's got to be a way that we can, we can look at tape and say, okay, that team is clearly better than that, that team. And they should have an opportunity at winning the national championship. Coach got time for one more question. As you alluded to, you're taking on Dickinson state this weekend at home a one o'clock kickoff give for those people here in this area uh, a real quick scouting report on dickinson state yeah it's i I gotta i've been doing that all week right like trying to tell people like hey this is a really good team uh that's coming from dickinson state because even people in the cross are like who is this team and what's showing up but uh yeah they've been a top 15 ranked team uh and last year were a a top 10 ranked team in in nai football um and, and have been really really good they got some really great transfers from California junior colleges that are there. So we, we certainly have our hands full uh, with this. And, and you, you look at it, we, we played Illinois Wesleyan. We got a big win uh, there. And then, and then we got Whitewater to open up uh, conference play, which is Oktoberfest weekend at home. Uh, so I, that's been a big deal around That'd here. Be kind so of fun. A, a, a prototypical trap game uh, for our players. I, they haven't prepared as such, but it's a really good team, an incredibly explosive team. Uh, and just, you know, hey, we're going to take on those teams uh, so that we can play some of that best competition and get ourselves ready for that, that gauntlet of the WIC schedule. Coach, it's always great to have you on our show. We hope that somewhere down the line here as the season wears on, we get the opportunity to speak again. Best wishes and look for us one of these days over at the Eagles Nest, all right? Hey, 
I love the Eagles Nest. I was just there tonight. So, uh, yes, trust me. I'll be there all the time. If you're there, you'll see me there and come and say hi. Okay. Oh, will do. That's head coach Mike Schmidt from the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. When we come back, we'll talk more about games that occurred this past week within the WIAC. A couple of nail biters like the one we described there with head coach Mike Schmidt from lacrosse happening elsewhere within the WIAC. We'll get to that all next. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan, as we continue on talking about some Division Three action that took place this past week. And, Dan, there were some incredible games we've already talked with the head coach at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse and how they came in and 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 took a victory on a last second kick and all the things that took place with that but there were some other games Whitewater continues to move on as they beat Concordia Moorhead 24 to 6 and then it was Stout and Gustus Eldolphus am I saying that right Yes you are Holy cow say that one 5 times fast Nope UW Stout, who was losing for the better part of that game, ends up coming back and winning it in overtime. And not only do they win it in overtime, it's on a block PAT. <laughs> so they'll come away with the victory after being down 17 to nothing all the way into the third quarter, come back, get it to overtime. Both teams score, but it'll be in this case Stout who Stout oh, Stout go. who blocks oh, the extra the point. Yeah, little, that still is that? Yeah. is laying there. Um, it gets the extra point block and comes away with the win. So with that, from this past week, the WIAC now has four teams sitting in the top twenty-five. The highest ranked right now is Whitewater. They're up two spots to number ten. Oshkosh falls eleven spots down to fifteen. Platteville is up from 17 to 16, and the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse cracks the top 25 in, as we mentioned earlier, at number 23. Now, with the fact that Oshkosh lost to Davenport 7 to 3, Dan, I, you know, we heard it with Coach Cerrone last week. It's the difficulty in trying to find these non conference games based upon how many teams right now are made up within the WIAC to have to travel to Michigan mm-hmm. to take on a quality opponent. When you start working in travel and everything else, and I have a feeling Cerrone would be the first one to say it's not an excuse, so I'll make it for him. That's a lot to ask of these young men in trying to get yourself ready for conference play, the amount of travel that's necessary for teams within the WEAC to go find a non-conference game. Well, it really shocked me when I saw that Oshkosh fell 11 spots because they're they're playing up a division. They're playing D2. And I think we talked about it last, last week, the amount of uh, D1 players that are playing D2 uh, at Davenport. So this is a really good team in terms of the talent that's coming into the program. Not a lot of success here, this or last year, but this year it appears like they're turning around. So 
Whitewater, sorry, Oshkosh goes on the road to Davenport, loses seven to three. They don't get blown out. No, they, you're absolutely they, right. They don't get blown out. They lose to a D two program, and then they fall eleven spots. And this is the kind of thing that kind of drives me nuts about the rating system as it relates to D three, which is I don't think anybody's paying any attention to who they're playing. They just saw that a team that they've anticipated winning because of the success that they've had um, should have won, and instead of paying attention to who they were playing and where they were playing, they say they look at that and say, "Well, that's that's an upset, and we're going to stick eleven spots further down the line." And that's that's completely unreasonable in my mind. I I thought Oshkosh gave a good account of itself. I I absolutely agree with you, and I think some of it goes into what we've seen now with the Badgers with a big win against New Mexico, but those voting looking at quality of opponent didn't feel as if New Mexico was that high up in the ranking, so to speak, in their mind when they're voting, and the Badgers ended up dropping. Now, the same thing can be said then with the Badgers in the fact that Ohio State jumped them in the polls. And again, because Rutgers is in the Big Ten, somehow Rutgers then becomes a better quality opponent when Rutgers hasn't been relevant right. in football for mm-hmm. who knows how long. So to come back to what you're saying, I absolutely agree. I have no idea why Oshkosh would drop 11 points. Dropping a couple of spots, yes, I understand. Sure, right. You didn't win. You can't have a team that's necessarily 1-1, one and one, maybe even sitting in the top 5 or 6. But to drop 11 spots mm-hmm. just seemed like it was a little unnecessary considering, as you alluded to, you were going up a division. And that's the kind of thing that people will not look back and in, in research when it comes time for these at-large bids, there's going to be some people sitting in a room who may or may not realize what Oshkosh did and only look at the fact that they have a loss. Or if they get one more loss in conference play, Mm -hmm. that they're sitting there with two losses and not be able to then argue why they should get an at-large bid, which again wraps right back around to what Cerrone was talking about last week, the fact that nobody wanted to play Oshkosh at mm-hmm. the Division Three level right. because you can't afford to have that mark to the right of the dash when you're looking at your record. And and now, by default, we're Davenport fans, right? Because what we need for Davenport is to have a good season. So this yes. lost um, this lost game that was there by Oshkosh it looks good. Yeah, you we know, it, we need Davenport to essentially run the table right. within their conference and make a huge showing at least into the – as they make their way into the playoffs is what I'm trying to get at get at so that as you were about to say and I think I cut you off and I apologize but (laughs) it it then makes that loss for Oshkosh not look as detrimental as it does right now coming into week three of the season. It's a little like rooting for poor teams in the Big Ten you need them to win some games so they don't look those wins don't look as weak as they would normally so yeah it's you know I Again, unfortunate for Oshkosh. We know the quality of the program that they have up there. We know that they can move up, uh, but we I think we need a little bit more intelligence in the rating system. Yeah, and again, you're looking at, I think in many cases, they're probably just SIDs. Yeah. Like what happens at mm-hmm. many universities, even especially we've talked about this with basketball, yep. where the coach walks by and says, hey, fill this out for me and the SID grabs it, or whatever intern they even pass it on to, (laughs) and goes ahead and looks at the scoring charts from the past week and says good, bad, and ugly, and just starts filling things out and then sends it in. Now, will this be the deterrent for Oshkosh? 
Hopefully not. We're going to have to wait and see how conference play goes. But on the bright side, the fact that we've got four teams in the WEAC, four teams from the state at the Division Three level ranked in the top 25 goes once again to how strong Division Three athletics is in the Badger State and the fact that now, as we were talking about last week, lacrosse is in the mix. Mm-hmm. So you're really looking at, at least early on in the season, Whitewater, Oshkosh, and lacrosse. I'm still not convinced with Platteville in, in what has played out over the last couple of weeks in, in past seasons. So maybe Platteville will be a surprise. So you're looking at three, if not four teams now vying for the WIAC championship. And you're looking at at least two that could give Whitewater and Oshkosh a run for their money. So, and I'm thinking about lacrosse a little bit because this is uh, Mike Schmitz. Is it his fourth year in the program? Yeah. So this is a year where you would expect a program like this. He's got his senior in place. Um, they've got their system in place. I think they're really looking to make that push. And that win that they had last week, is this their time now? We talked about it last week where this is the opportunity for them to push through and make that run up into the upper echelon of the WEAC. And then by default, when you're there, you're in the upper echelon of D3 college football. So it's going to be fun to watch. And then obviously we've got a big game, game coming up, uh, not ne- not this week, but next week between Whitewater and Oshkosh. And that's going to really kind of determine – kind of the the rest of the set for the college football season in the WEAC because at that point if if Oshkosh loses and they got two losses I don't know what they're going to do Whitewater comes in with white with one loss that really evens out the playing field for the rest of the teams there it'll be a fun season to watch in the WEAC and that will be a game if you have the ability to go to Whitewater go because I think last year 17,000 yeah. plus on hand crazy number. for the game. I think it was the largest um, Division three game played outside of necessarily a, a playoff or a championship, just a regular season game. Also, if you have the ability, go to the website. Just you know, go to UW Whitewater's athletic website, click on it, and watch it because it will be an entertaining afternoon of football. Time for us to take a break. When we come back, want to talk about the new redshirt rule in college football. It has really come to the forefront with Jalen Hurts over at Alabama and looking at what that redshirt rule could mean, not only for Jalen Hurts and his future, but maybe for some Badgers as they make their way through their own playing career. And we'll do it next. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Once again, welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Gentlemen, this week I think we saw the new redshirt rule really come to the forefront as Jalen Hurts last year's starting quarterback for Alabama who has been relocated to what we could now consider a backup role really exercising this new redshirt rule in which you have the ability to play four games doesn't have to be in succession it can be at any point during the year and then still become eligible to redshirt first of all is it a rule you think has been a long time coming when it comes to college football or are we going to find more individuals like Jalen Hurts who are going to play the four-game rules, so to speak, and mm-hmm. kind of dance around and leave themselves um, the opportunity at the end of an upcoming well, year then to move on someplace else? Yeah, I think it's going to be both. I think the redshirt rule addresses kind of the the necessity for 
for um, for players that are injured. They're, they're recognizing the fact there's a lot more injuries happening. There's a, they're recognizing uh, the different ways to get people on the field. But yeah, I think I think what Jalen Hurts is doing is is going to be consistent. Now you're going to be a lot more. Um, what do you want? What am I trying to say? You're going to be a lot more selective in terms of how you approach the season. And and my thought process is it might actually serve as kind of a de facto practice squad, where if you can push people back and forth a little bit. Um, and coaches are going to find a way to take advantage of this. They're going to find a way to kind of maneuver and manipulate this a little bit to, to their needs. And so it'll be really interesting to see, give it two or three years, how the NCAA approaches this. Because if if it's used to stockpile players at the end of the season, watch out. I think, I think it's going to be kind of an issue that's going to have to be revisited. And I often wonder in this case with the scenario in Alabama, Jeff, have players now found a way to kind of push back against when we watch coaches that just get up and leave and the players, you know, who have been recruited by a particular coach who go to a university to play for that coach and that coach ends up leaving. Well, now you've got a coach at Alabama who isn't going anywhere, who is probably more King than coach when it comes to the Crimson Tide. And it seems to me in this case that Jalen Hurts found a way to kind of push back at what the head coach in this case was doing, which was kind of holding off because I don't think he realized what he might have in Tua as a freshman, even though he only played really one half of of a game last year, though the national championship. And I think he was holding off to find out what really do I have with this freshman now sophomore? So I'm going to hold Jalen Hurt back. But now Jalen Hurt saying, wait a minute, I've got four games. I'm going to maneuver this so I can redshirt. And I have a feeling we're going to see Jalen Hurt in another uniform right. by next season. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I think it's kind of a, in this case, I think this helps Jalen Hurts, uh, where in most cases, I think this rule is just going to help the big time programs. Uh, just, you know, completely stash players, like you said, uh, Dan, with the practice squad kind of thing. I, I agree with that. I think that's completely spot on. You know, Jalen Hurts was thinking about transferring before, wanted a commitment from Saban that he was going to be the starting quarterback. You know that Saban promised him the moon, and then the season comes and he's splitting game one, and uh, it looks like he was going to be the backup. And so now, you know, promises were broken, and now he's going to redshirt. So I think this helps Hurts in this scenario, but I think more times than not, it's going to help the coach at the expense of the kid. Isn't it amazing how a rule that's enacted now in this redshirt rule was enacted, uh, I'll say in good faith, because let's face it, in the game of football, you could have had a freshman or a sophomore run out onto the field his very first snap, injured, loses his ability then to kind of complete his college career the way you would want to, where you get four full years of on-the-field playing time. And now we can already see in its infancy, as this rule is being enacted, how coaches can manipulate it to their own benefit in stockpiling, Dan, as you said, players to get ready then for next year. I I always think it's amazing how we can have a rule in good faith 
turn into something that somewhere down the line is going to probably be revisited because of the way the coaches and administrators within major collegiate programs are going to manipulate it to make it work in their benefit and not necessarily into the student-athletes. It's, it's a little out there, but I think this is going to almost be we – we're talking practice squad, but it's almost like a bullpen too. A coach is going to be able to set up based on matches – I, who, what player is going to be best set up to take on you, you, defense or offense, but to take on opponents on from the other end of the line and and match them up according to the best opportunity to win? I think what you're also going to see, and this is really hypothetical, is with all the challenges that we have in the NCAA and do we allow agents in, do we not allow agents and stuff like that. If 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 agents ever come into the play, then you're going to get a lot of information and a lot of consultation from other people to the player themselves in terms of how to manipulate that to the benefit of the player. The one in terms of what we're talking about Jalen Hurts, it's it makes sense. He's saved himself a year of eligibility. He's going to be able to transfer somewhere else and he'll be able to get one to two more years in, grow as a quarterback or whatever's in in the future for him. And I think you're going to see that from other players too. They're going to look around they may be a junior or a senior, and they realize there's a sophomore behind them that's going to get more playing time. Say, well, wait a minute. I've done this for four games, and I'm looking at the future, and this isn't going to work out. I'm pulling out as a red shirt, and I'm going to start transferring next year so I don't lose eligibility. I, I'm sorry, Jeff. I just think the dynamic that it's creating, I, I just don't think sometimes when rules aren't acted, you, you don't take that adversarial side and you don't look to the future as to what this is really going to do as far as changing the balance within collegiate athletics. Yeah, but you knew the co- you know the coaches had a say uh, to get this rule enacted. Mm-hmm. So it's like they almost invent, you know, ways and loopholes that they know that they could take advantage of it as soon as it's ready. You know, like you said, this this rules the ink is barely dry and it's already happening. You know, there's going to be schools that are going to sit there and be able to have, you know, a bunch of defensive linemen so you, on, on their right. practice squad or, you know, red shirt, uh, whatever. And so we're going up against Wisconsin. We need, you know, 15 healthy D-line that we can shuffle in and out. That's going to be one of the four games that these guys are going to play. Or, you know, oh, we're going up against a squad with amazing wide receivers. So now all my secondary guys are coming back and playing one of the four games. It's gonna be it's gonna be a complete sideshow. But here's here's where for me the interesting point comes with what you just said, Jeff, is the fact that the coaches that make those decisions are coaches at the power conference type universities. They're the ones who are going to benefit from those. It's the guys like we would call in basketball, the mid majors, the guys who are going to lose to some of these programs because of this red shirt rule who are going to be squawking like there's no tomorrow. It's going to be the Nick Sabans, and then you can move to the Clemsons and whatever in the world that are really going to benefit from what's taking place now with this new four game set. I wonder what it's going to do too in terms of a power structure a little bit in terms of coaches have a lot of say in terms of allowing players to get out of their commitments for their for commitments for the university and in a lot of cases the coaches will determine okay we'll we'll let you out of your agreement but then you are not going to play football in in our conference you know you're not going to play in the Big 10 you're not going to play in the ACC whatever it is now it's it's does that take it one step further because there's so much more control as you guys are saying i mean does does this make it even more difficult for the players to determine where they want to go does it give them more power does it not and then 
does that potentially push a player that wants to leave, knowing that they can't go to the conference they want to, into a mid or mid major? The other end of the spectrum is 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 looking at this and this player. It's it's really going to be open season if they if they know there's a good player, a good junior or senior quarterback that's redshirting. Can you imagine all the outreach to that quarterback that's going to happen in season yeah. to get you to come? to this different program, I, I think Russell Wilson a little bit, right? We're one quarterback away from being really, really good. And there are other four or five programs that are out there just like that. It, the quote-unquote bidding war, air quotes, but maybe not, yeah. to get that player there because they're going to know. Four games into the season, they're going to know. It might turn into like a free agency kind yeah, of deal right. for college football. Same thing. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, everything in the NCAA is stacked against the players and in favor of the coaches. You know, from the fact that they don't get paid, no matter, you know, to everything else. And if you turn this into free agency, it's going to be, it's going to get dirty. Well, look what, look what's happened. <laughs> the NCAA? Yeah. yeah. Shocking. Never. Shocking. Look what's happened in basketball. How many, how many players now have we seen transfer after being recruited, let's say their freshman year, mm-hmm. and they've transferred, I don't know, from Kentucky to wherever or from Clemson to wherever, whatever the case may be, the freedom now for these players to be able to transfer, maintain eligibility, um, sustain the playing time that they want to see and obtain the playing time that they want to get is at probably a greater level than at any other time in collegiate athletics. And I think, Jeff, to go to your point with this whole free agency thought, it's kind of what this could be. This could kind of be a player saying, hey, I, this ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Think of the running back backlog that exists with Wisconsin. Right. Yep. Right. So do I sit and redshirt, give myself another year, and I guess it has to go to the program too. Do I feel people have been honest, like we were talking about with Saban and Jalen Hurts and, and what we perceive maybe not to be all of the honesty that took place, but – does somebody like Paul Chris come and say, listen, you go ahead and redshirt because so-and-so we're projecting by next year is going to leave, may go to the draft, whatever. This will be your show. Or does someone then sit back and say, you know what? I, who knows when I'm going to see the field because we've got so many running backs sitting here on the sidelines. It's time for me to go. I, You just hate to see the fact that a rule was enacted to help players to protect them against injury now be manipulated into what we'll call free agency at collegiate athletic football. That's but that's what but this is this is big time college football. It's big time college basketball. And if one thing that we know about that administration, you know, in terms of main programs is you look for the loopholes, just like CEOs look for the loopholes in taxes, right? They're looking for any way that they can get an edge to get the best players on the field regardless of what that means for, you know, the, the student-athlete, they're trying to get, you know, build their legacy off of wins and championships. And that's that's exactly what that's what they're paid to do. Let's, mm-hmm. I mean, s- spare me the whole we're here for the student-athlete. I'm sorry, not really. You know, it's, oh, of it's, course. That's not what's going on. So, I yeah, this is – doesn't matter what rule is going to be implemented into football or basketball or pick your sport – Coaches at that level are are geared to find a way to use that to their advantage. Somebody yeah. marked a tape because Jeff Orlowski 
has called it free agency instead of the red shirt <laughs> rule. And I have a feeling others are going to be calling it just that as, as this thing makes its way on through the next couple of years. It'll time for us to take another break. When we come back, let's talk about some of the pri- the prizes, the surprises, both positive and negative that we've seen so far early on here with college football across this great nation of ours and we'll do it next this is the college football show right here on 105.7 fm the fan once again welcome back into the college football show right here on 105.7 fm the fan so gentlemen we're early on in this season and to me there have been some surprises both on the good and the bad side of whatever that line of demarcation you want to have for me First up, the biggest surprise is how bad Arizona is. I thought with Kevin Sumlin going to Arizona after leaving Texas A&M, and granted, I realize you've got to get your recruits in. You might Mm -hmm. have to recruit a a completely different style of athlete for what style of offense and defense that you want to run. But I've been absolutely shocked at how poor right now Arizona looks early on again I know it's only week two right but they to me remind me of Buffalo in the (laughs) NFL like I I look at Buffalo thinking you're on the clock already Mm -hmm. if you're a Bills fan you might as well start looking at what we're talking about at the collegiate level and find out who the Bills are going to take I look at Arizona I get the same feeling I I don't know what has happened to that program and can't for the life of me understand why they can't get that thing back up to where it used to be. Yeah, I'm I'm not quite sure either. And I, I think this is where prognosticators, they look at one particular point of talent, just assume that they're going to carry them all the way through. We've seen that with Lamar Jackson and with uh, Louisville and, and, and all the different things that have gone through, and then they just kind of go away. But pretty clearly, Arizona was was overrated. But I for me, and I, I'm just going off on a tangent just for a minute, isn't it funny how when it rains, it pours a certain school? It is. You know, because Arizona basketball went through hell last year. Um, and now here we are with football, and we're just thinking, okay, football is going to kind of lift our spirits. We're going to go and own two. But look at but look at how cyclical it is in the fact that when teams are winning, they just continue to bring in those athletes oh, yeah. that continue the process of maintaining a level of excellence. And once a program falls for whatever reason, it just seems like that wheel still spins. It just happens to be on the wrong end of the spectrum, and they continue to lose year after year. And I think we could go right down the line and name a handful of colleges right off the top of your head. Michigan. Who have been stuck. <laughs> but you're absolutely right, Jeff. Michigan fell a little bit back when they decided to bring in some coaches that ran some variant styles of offense that really don't play within the Big Ten paradigm so to speak and now even though they got Harbaugh there he's still trying to bring in players and recruits and you name it to try to get that thing back on track and they're and they're really still to this day struggling yeah they are they're you know that when did they start was it under Rich Rod that yes. uh that yeah. the decline really started going and then oh you know it, it was because he wasn't a true Michigan man and so now it's Harbaugh and how's that working out for you you know, Texas is the same way. Yeah, They've gone point. through just good coach after good coach after good coach and can't get it together. They're right. still losing. You know, so, yeah, there's programs that once the wheels fall off, they are they're gone. 
which is why I think sometimes we we underappreciate what's been going on at Wisconsin. Even though we've gone through a few coaching changes, there has still maintained a level of excellence even through the various coaches that have come. Listen, if you can get through Bielema and still maintain excellence, you know something's <laughs> going right over there in Madison. But when you look at some of these other programs who have run really some pretty decent coaches out of town because it didn't live up to whatever hypothetical level that the boosters thought that program should be at, they've then fallen and have never really gotten back. Now, on the other hand, since we were talking about Arizona, look in-house within that state, I guess I'm trying to say, at Arizona State. Herm Edwards, I don't know if Herm Edwards has done it through X's and O's or if it's just sheer motivation. I mean, Herm Edwards is operating at 10-plus 24-7. I mean, the man is just a bundle of energy. So I don't know yet if Arizona State is for real or if they're just responding to all the hype and the positivity that Herm Edwards brings to the situation. But there's an example of a team, too, that has been kind of stuck in mediocrity. Did I say that right? It's getting late. Close enough. Anyway, somewhere in the middle. How's that? Um, And Herm Edwards seems to have found a way, at least early on, to kind of flip the script, so to speak, and get that team playing halfway decent. Herm Edwards kind of reminds me of a coach that you bring in to kind of fix the problem for two or three years. Uh, he, he might run out of energy a little bit, but he brings he brings you a little bit of, of program credibility back, and then you look for someone that can kind of really extend it to the next level. Um, it, it all depends for Arizona State. Can they maintain kind of, I would argue, kind of a, an 8-4 and four kind of component, maybe that, that kind of level where they're not – they're not winning conference championships, but they're they're in a conversation in a good way. And we're talking about how when the wheels fall off, like a Texas or something like that, Arizona State is now just trying to get its pipeline filled with consideration from good players out there and looking at the opportunity. Well, and the funny thing about Herm Edwards is that the talk going into this season was how disconnected, disorganized everything was in his program, and it – they, you know, every all the articles that I read about uh, Herm Edwards and you know uh, the coaches and everything that he brought in, it all sounded like this season was going to be just an unmitigated mess and just disaster. And he's got them together and playing good football. And it always amazes me whether it's Arizona or Arizona State, how can you not recruit? I mean, how do you not just go around and say, come on down and visit to take one step onto either one of those campuses campuses, and then just take that particular individual and spin them 360? Just one 360 move (laughs) should be enough to go, where do I sign? Yep. I'm just amazed that you can be in that part of the country with the facilities that they have, the atmosphere that they have, the weather, you name it, and not be able to recruit at a better level than what those two schools have recruited at. It kind of tells me that the way athletes are really looking at even the best schools as commodities sometimes. Can you get help me get to another level? Every high school player walking out of that is thinking, can I get to the NFL? If you're in a D1 program, you're, you're at a Power 5 conference being recruited, everybody's now looking at, can you help me get to the NFL? You're 18, you think you can do it. And so when you look at a program like an ASU or an Arizona, they look at they see all the things that you're talking about and more, but what they don't see is a pathway into the NFL. And so that's they need to start thinking success. Even Wisconsin years ago, 
did not have pathways, and then started with offensive linemen, right? If you can get into offensive, Wisconsin's offensive line kind of process, you stand a chance of getting in there, and then it just kind of builds out that way. Arizona, Arizona State, I guess I'll call them Tier 2 programs in, in the SEC, or no, I'm sorry, in the Power 5 conferences. They're trying to get to that place, and it's, it's tough to get into because now where's the attention? Well, yeah, if you're a good kid and you're getting recruited by Arizona or Arizona State and you're getting recruited by Nebraska, you're going to Nebraska. You know, it doesn't matter how gorgeous uh, the campus, the women, everything is down there. You're going to go to Nebraska because you think you have a better chance, like you said, of making the league. And, you know, same thing, Oklahoma. You know, there's and they're close to Texas and all that kind of stuff. You know, so the location helps, but it also kind of hurts because there's some big-time programs all around them that – if my kid, and I, I hope this rings true, gets recruited in anything, you know, they're going to the school, best best chance to go pro. When we look at the Big Ten, mm-hmm. let's go around the table here real quick. What has been the biggest surprise for you early on here in the Big Ten season? Dan, I'll start with you. Boy, that's that's tough. I I guess I'm not surprised by Michigan's averageness right now. I guess I kind of expected that a little bit. For me, it's a little early to to kind of go that route. I want to see what Iowa does. Um, I am I am hopeful that I'm surprised by Nebraska. I'd like to see Nebraska come back to prominence again. They had a game that they that they really could have won uh, last weekend and, and and taken that home. And I think the Big Ten, by and large, is better when you have a, a program of that magnitude and that history. Um, people give more respect to the Big Ten when a team like Nebraska is doing well. So I'm I'm hoping that we'll be a surprise by by Nebraska. Jeff, for me, uh, well, we just talked about Arizona State. Uh, how about the team that lost to them, Michigan State? Yeah, you know they struggled mightily against Utah State, only beat them by seven, and then they fall by three, sixteen to thirteen to Arizona State. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know Michigan State was supposed to be good, and uh, they don't look good. Michigan State, though, whether it's football or basketball, always seems to me to be a late season team. I don't, I don't know what it is about that university, but even in basketball, they struggle in the beginning, and then all of a sudden you get to about the midway point, and everything just seems to click. The problem is in football, you can't wait that long. Right, you can't bank. Right three, four losses no. and expect to get where you want to be, which is a big 10 championship appearance. I mean, it may get you to a bowl game, but it's not going to get you into that championship uh, conversation at the end of the year. And it almost felt Jeff last week, like Michigan state was kind of in a trap game. Like you said, struggled week one and then had to go out West mm-hmm. to play Arizona state. And it just seems when teams in this area head out west to play, things don't always live up to what you would believe to be the potential of the game going into it. Yeah, and you know, like you said, you cannot get off to a slow start in college football. Every game is a playoff game. I'm sure Michigan State, you know, the coaches, the administration, you know, while they don't expect to to make the Final Four, uh, you know, and the playoff. That's obviously the goal for a university like that. And, you know, you fall in week two, you you know, you're done. Yeah. You know, you fall to Arizona State. I don't care if Arizona State finishes the year in the top ten. Michigan, uh, Michigan State has no chance. They could run the table the rest of the season. They hey, got right. no chance of making the Final Four. And I've been absolutely surprised by Ohio State. Mm-hmm. With all of the turmoil going into this season and the things that we discussed last week, the way that team – 
has kind of circled the wagons and made it about them and what they've been able to do on the field in the absence of their head coach, I think has been absolutely miraculous. Now, my my question then would be, are we kind of running on adrenaline when we're talking about Ohio State? So when the coach comes back, is there a point where the guard gets let down a little bit? Because we've been we've been so focused with him being gone when he comes back. Do we let our guard down a little bit? Or, or is Ohio State just that good and we can expect them not only in the Big Ten championship but a run for a national championship in that Final Four? I think it depends on the leadership structure and the culture of the program and whether or not this is just if they're taking a business-as-usual approach and moving forward with that. And and quite frankly, I don't care when, when coaches are suspended. They're, they're still in it. I'm sorry. They're, they still oh, have yeah. their, their hands in there and, and helping out a little bit. With, with the Ohio State thing, what, what's going to annoy me later on in the season is let's just say they're sitting at eight and no, and we're going to hear all the stories about all the things they've overcome. Child, please come on. <laughs> okay. okay, you lost your head coach for two games. You played two weekly opponents, and and you're sitting at eight and no. Stop it. You you didn't overcome a damn thing. I I again am marvelled with the fact that the Badgers win, fall in the polls. Ohio State wins jumps into polls and I think from the pollsters perspective it's the fact that Ohio State beat a Big Ten team Mm -hmm. Wisconsin beats a New Mexico team that is probably the equivalent of again a mid-major in basketball but I'll say it for the umpteenth time when's the last time Rutgers has been relevant in football Rutgers is awful I I honestly I would have taken prior to the quarterback getting injured I would have taken New Mexico against Rutgers and put the house on New Mexico with as fast as they were playing to begin that game at Camp Randall this past week. But yet, somebody looking at a piece of paper goes, well, Ohio State beat a Big Ten opponent. Wisconsin beats New Mexico, as I said, and we jumped them in the polls. The quality of opponent just seems to be overlooked time and time again. It's more of the conference than it is the opponent. Yeah, it's the conference and it's the school's cachet. You know, Ohio State, they're Ohio State. They have a expectation about them. They have a bias, you know, like like how Notre Dame, you know, mm-hmm. used to have. Yep. Uh how Alabama has. You know, Alabama could lose to little sisters of the poor and they still won't <laughs> fall out of the top ten. You know, and it could be a hundred to nothing because that's the mighty Bama. Right. You know, that's how it goes. And you know, when we talked about this, and uh, you know, you laughed because I called you crazy. You thought, you know, that Ohio State was going to struggle, and I said, of course they're not. It's Cupcake City, and they're a professional football team. You know, you can call it NCAA. Ohio State's a professional football team, same as Alabama, same as a lot of these big schools. And so it doesn't surprise me. It surprises me how many points they gave up week one. That's it. And teams that I think Buffalo would love to have playing for them right now on Sundays as opposed to what's being run out on the field there out east. All right. Last segment coming up. It'll be time to shovel the funk, and we'll do it next. We'll also take a look at a couple of the D3 games, the matchups, and one last look at Wisconsin and BYU, and we'll get to it all next. One last time, this is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back once again to 
the college football show right here on 105.7 FM. The fan shovel the funk is being brought to you by Americana Apparel. Whether you need t-shirts for an upcoming event or team jerseys and gear, Americana Apparel has you covered. Owner Jim Van Acker will provide you with unparalleled quality and service for all your custom silk screening and embroidery needs. Check them out at their website, AmericanaApparelLLC.com. Americana Apparel, the official outfitters of the college football show. So, gentlemen, just let it be known. Live Nation hasn't called. Justin still hasn't dropped tickets no, off. He's but yet, to, he likes to surprise people. Yeah, we still keep putting <laughs> his doggone music as we shovel the funk. But, Jeff, I will start with you, sir. Your shovel this week goes where? Well, since we were just talking about teams that sucked, I am going to throw my shovel on the Purdue Boilermakers. Uh, they're off to a great start. They uh, lose week one in Northwestern, and then, oh, oh, looky there. They were a 17-point favorite uh, taking on Eastern Michigan, and, uh, yeah, that didn't happen either. And, you know, Eastern Michigan, now they are a, a powerhouse. Uh <laughs> You know, they won a Big Ten game last year. It was against mighty Rutgers. So, you know, they're not playing the, the cream of the crop here. Uh, Purdue, oh, do yourself a favor. Start digging your own grave. You know what's, you know what's strange is the fact that, you know, the Big Ten Network did kind of almost like a hard knocks with the University of Purdue where they walk you through camp and you get the kind of the behind the scenes. And I'm not talking about facilities or the age of the players or anything like that, but just the difference in leadership style between Hugh Jackson and Cleveland and what was going on at Purdue. And I'm I'm talking about the entire coaching staff at Purdue. When you watch that, there for me personally, there was something like that rubbed you the wrong way and how they went about their business. So quite honestly, I'm not altogether shocked that they're having such a rough start when you watch that behind the scenes footage. And at least from my perspective, watching how things evolved with that particular program, not altogether too set back by the fact that they are and two. Dan, you're up. Well, I'm going to go Wisconsin's offensive line. They paved the way for uh, Jonathan Daler to go 253 yards. They were the one constant in the game against New Mexico, and the game was never really in doubt. They were able to push and, and, and just manhandle their way through New Mexico the entire way. I'm going to go pipe bomb a little bit, though, on one of these things as it relates to Wisconsin. Um, was at the game the other day, and now and maybe it's my age and I'm just getting curmudgeonly, but – now they've got this thing where they're they've got kind of for one segment of the in-game experience they've got a DJ, not a fan. I just yeah. I don't need that. It's it's one of those things where I don't know who you, what demographic you're reaching out to and why we need it. That there's there is enough going on at a Badger game to keep your attention. Yeah. Um. Just it just was not my thing. So all about the offensive line, the DJ can go away. Well, <laughs> and and it's hard to believe that. Well. Has times have changed. That's kind of where things are right. going. But mm -hmm. when we're looking at the band at Wisconsin with the fifth quarter and everything that goes around, you just, yeah, it's not something you expect to see. My shovel this week goes to Ryan Burney, the kicker for the University of Wisconsin lacrosse, who with no time left on the clock, punched it through the uprights to get lacrosse to a 2-0 start to this upcoming season. 
And the way that kick came about with the two timeouts and the offsides that Illinois Wesleyan took trying to rattle them and to be a freshman in that situation to just shake it all off and put it between the uprights was pretty decent. Guys, with the Badgers now taking on BYU, are we expecting to see a score like we saw against New Mexico or will we see an improved BYU team that I'm not saying will come into Camp Randall and get a victory, but at least make a better game out of it than what we saw last year with the Badgers in Utah? I don't know. I I think this is a really interesting game. I really do think that BYU is a team that Wisconsin should put up 45 points. I I think it's there, but you know, here we were a week ago and we were talking about how they're going to put up 50, 60, 40 points, whatever it was. I think I had 77. Yeah, yeah, I don't don't think we're going to see it. It'll be a higher level of, of, of competition that's for sure but i think wisconsin should be able to put if they put a decent game together all the way through offense defense passing running and do that getting danny davis back i think they should win this running away with it i really do yeah i agree with you you know uh this was the game last year hornerbrook had his career game and uh you know while i don't expect him to go 17 to 18 or 18 to 19 whatever it was uh, I do expect the Badgers to to win this one fairly easily. You got a couple of games on the Division Three schedule worth taking a peek at. As we noted, Dickinson State will be at UW-Lacrosse. That will be a matchup. Also, UW-Oshkosh heads to Lincoln, Missouri for a 1 o'clock matchup. And again, Oshkosh on the road. All three mm-hmm. non-conference yep. games are on the road for the Titans, which has just got to be wear and tear on that program. But as Coach Cerrone has said, you got to go wherever the games are. And in this case, they're forcing the WEAC teams to come out to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and, and I'll come out and say right away, I'm really hoping that, that Oshkosh wins this game. I am rooting for them because, because it's again, it's unfair that they fall 11 spots. Mm-hmm. It's, it, they go up against a D2 team. They're on the road. You you don't really expect them to to win. You think that they might because they're a really good program. But now they're on the road again, traveling. I mean, what's it's probably got to be an eight hour trip to get down to Missouri in that part. I just it's just, just go Titans because you've earned this one. Just bring bring back a W. And, and they just, only lost by what four? Yeah, it was yeah. seven three final seven, three yeah. against a Division two team. Hello. And again, this is not the Packers traveling or even the Badgers. We're not looking at chartered aircraft. Right taking the group of kids down there to play the game. We're talking about getting on some buses, packing your bags and and shoving them down below and making that trek across. Mm-hmm. It just I get it. It's still early in the year, so academically you're not necessarily knee deep in your coursework and everything else, but just the wear and tear of having to travel and play quality opponents and then get back on a bus and make your way back. At some point, I have a feeling the Titans would love to just have a home game and call it a day (laughs) from there. Also, we've got Platteville going to Kentucky to play Thomas Moore, and Whitewater is at home against Middle Georgia State. So, guys, another full week once again on the docket here for college football in the state of Wisconsin, whether it's the Badgers or Division Three, and we never even got into the fact that Carthage plays Carroll, which should be a decent matchup here locally. So again, if you're looking for a game besides having the Badgers on and you're multitasking like we love to do, make sure you go online and pull these websites up so you can watch 
right there from your home. Our thanks today to Jared Lloyd, the Daily Herald out of Provo, Utah, for talking with us with regards to this upcoming game between the Badgers and BYU. Also want to thank head coach Mike Schmidt from the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse for taking some time also to talk about their program and the success that they're having so far early on in this season. Don't forget, it's this weekend at Cardinal Stritch University. If you are interested in that basketball clinic, please go to their website, stritchwolves.com. All the information will be there. A ton of coaches, 30 bucks. It'll be well worth the time spent. For our producer, the Polish pipe bomb, Jeff Orlowski, the professor, Dan Underberg, I'm Don Wachillis. Thanks once again for joining us here on the College Football Show. We're back in 6 and 22. Have a good night, everybody. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 